Wow. We welcome to Death Metal Dudes. This week we're talking about the Burke and Hare murders. That's right. We're going way back to Edinburgh, Scotland, and we're going to compare those to the brand new exhumed album, Death Revenge. It's a concept album based upon this bizarre string of murders that were committed in Edinburgh, Scotland. Edinburgh, fun fact, is spelled E-D-I-N-B-U-R-G-H, which is Edinburgh for sure, but somehow, and I only know it because there's that Edinburgh Fringe Fest over there. And if I hadn't heard people pronounce that a lot of times, I would have definitely called it Edinburgh, and we would have sounded fucking stupid on this, buddy. And it also where the hauntings of the new Conjuring 2 movie came from in Edinburgh, Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. I think what, so. What I don't a remember shitty that fucking movie. Yeah, it sucked, dude. Movie. Is that the one? Yeah, that's the one with the old dude in the chair, right? Yeah. Yeah. The first was, one was a fucking zinger. Yeah, it zing zanged, but it was a. I hate those fucking dorks that they made the movie about. Yeah, 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 yeah they're yeah, full yeah. of shit. They're full of shit. Well, William Burke and William Hare became opportunity murderers in Edinburgh, Scotland, in 1828. Hare ran a boarding house, had a guest pass away, and uh, rather than go through the exact legal channels, they had heard of surgeons and anatomists buying fresh bodies for a pretty decent amount of money. The two. You gagged from drinking vodka and I burped. All right. <laughs> the two took the money as their new call as their new calling and began killing boarding house guests a la H. H. Holmes, taking out sixteen in less than a year trying to make a fortune. And boy, oh boy, did they receive their comeuppance. Oh yeah? Yes, and we're gonna dive into that tonight. Ugh. Or whenever you download this podcast on Death Metal Dicks, happy to see you again this week. Buddy, I would like to welcome everyone into the void with Christopher Pierce and Buddy Lloyd. Always at the top of the show, we want to remind you to check out our network, Professional Pirate Media. Our producer, Mark, does a great job putting out this show every week, and he has a fantastic podcast himself I invite you to check out called Epizootics of the Blowhole. It's him and a few of his friends having a good time right here in the Professional Pirate Media Studios. And we're going to have a live show. I don't even think I told Buddy about this, but we're moving it from that Thursday to Sunday because uh, me and Sam Talent's Friday and Saturday shows already sold out in Springfield, so they threw oh. on an extra day. Cool. Which is Thursday, so Sunday, we're going to go from Springfield to Bentonville or Rogers or Fayetteville, Arkansas. It's like the same 10-mile radius in northwest Arkansas. Uh, I don't have the venue locked down 100% yet, but the guy that I know up there uh, that promotes and runs great shows is working on it right now, so... I will give you the information as soon as we get it. If you have any questions, of course, you can message me anywhere on social media, including any of the Death Metal Dicks accounts. And I'll definitely put that up as soon as we get it. So if you want to see us live, that's going to be January 28th, Northwest Arkansas. Cool. Check out uh, patreon.com backslash Death Metal Dicks. That's the easiest way to support us and what we do here at the podcast. 
Um, if you if you can't afford to uh, kick us any cash, that's great. We're broke as fuck ourselves. We understand. We're drinking Miller High Life and uh, or Miller Light and a forty ounce of Steel Reserve right now. Uh, so if you could just get on iTunes or whatever service you download your podcast from, give us a review or just a simple share on whatever social media platform you use. Trust us. There's uh, other metalheads and fans of true crime out there that we just don't have the ability to reach because we don't know what groups you post in online. Just uh, spread the word, and that helps us out a ton because we're definitely a DIY operation. I mean, it's just three dudes recording a podcast. Yeah. And we do a lot of work, and we love that you guys tune in. And if you could just help us get the word out, then uh, we'll be infinite and keep this stream of knowledge and punishing death metal colliding into one Powerful package streaming into your ears through your favorite iTunes provider week after week. And we also do some cool stuff like record reviews. And uh, I do a true crime roundup podcast every week. And apologies to anyone that was uh, expecting that so far this week. I uh, was out of town all weekend in Dallas. Had a long weekend uh, doing some shows and working down there. And then I got back home and I was fucking tired. And uh, today is my birthday, so I just really slept on it. But I'll get that out tomorrow. So tomorrow night, expect that True Crime Roundup. That'll be the last free one I put out. And if you're liking that, I can see how many plays it's got. I think you are. Uh, you're just going to want to jump on that Patreon experience and get the cool. full 360 degrees of death metal dicks delivered into your taint or yeah, butt or whatever. We are doing the uh, – I've been doing record reviews on the uh, YouTube account. But I think either this week or next week, me and Chris are going to do a uh, – Top albums of 2017 review, which yeah. should be interesting because I'm sure me and you have a a different opinion on what the number one album is. Yeah, for sure. So it'll be fun, man. And uh, I I like the. Well, I don't even know what my number one album is for sure. It's right so now. hard, man. There's a lot of good shit. Yeah, and I have a hard time just listening straight through. I mean, I do. You know, it's not that I have a hard, but I'll. It's something will remind me of something else. You know, and I'll just skip to that. Yeah, and then come back to it. Um, but I I can tell you. ADD, dude. Yeah, ADD <laughs> for sure. Um, man, Red. You know, the, the thing. I've obviously I'm in a lot of. Uh, metal groups and the places where people post about metal on uh, Facebook. And I look at the Twitter fucking hashtags and all that goofy stuff. And I guess, you know, there's like a resistance right now. I think one of the funnier things about death metal is that there's a ton of bands, but the main bands that came out when death metal first started, they're still going, they're still active yeah, and they still make sometimes pretty good records, but sometimes they'll still put out a killer record. That's from, you know, the exhumed that we're talking about tonight. A Cannibal Corpse, Red Before Black. That's a hell of a record. And then people shit on it so much yeah. simply because it's it's a huge band within the genre. But that's the band that fucking defined the genre. And then you're going to just complain about it to complain about it. But it's right along. I mean, I don't expect, if I like a band for what they're doing, I don't expect them to in any way evolve other than to go down the path of what they've been doing and just kind of chisel yeah. and chisel and chisel away at finding that one perfect sound, you know? I think once you find a sound, you can tighten it and tighten it and tighten it. That, that is my biggest complaint about people that complain about death metal. It's like, oh, the new Cannibal Corpse is just Cannibal Corpse. It's like, yeah, that's why it's good. That's exactly you know? <laughs> why it's good. It's just more Cannibal Corpse songs. You never, you never, not ever listen to like the bleeding and hope for four or five more songs. Well, yeah, I mean, the can- <laughs> I mean, like, here's the thing about Cannibal Corpse is they've never put out a bad album ever. ever I don't even a- think they put out a bad song. I don't either, man. I mean, de- there's definitely songs that are better. Yeah, for sure. Other ones, but yeah. you know, it's the same thing with albums. 
Yeah. Oh, and, and you know the new exhumed. Like I was looking at um, reviews of this, just scrolling through, and people. I mean, and also it's funny to make fun of things that yeah. people that everyone likes, and I get that. But I don't think people get the crossover between making a funny joke about something and then actually believing like this is a pile of shit. You just, you know, a lot of opinions that go around, and those are opinions. It's, opinions. it's whatever people think. But uh, yeah, we're probably not going to look too cool to today's young death metal crowd or i'm not going to when i could care less my favorite is anatomy is destiny but did the new album is great man it's yeah it's fucking, a hell of a record it's, it's a banger yeah and we're you know we're just talking about the top albums of the year but that's what i've been thinking about the whole time with everything i do i try my best to just uh disassociate myself with what's gonna be the uh opinion of the day i guess i should say you know I just I don't want to get mixed up. I don't like my line of thought getting mixed up with anyone else's line of thought yeah. in anything. So yeah, stay away from that. I don't know how we got going on that shit. Well, I do because of me, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 drifting off. All right, let's uh, talk about Burke and Hare. It's a wild story. You know, um, this is still one of the most infamous serial killing stories from Scotland, the uh, England. Scotland, Ireland area, they don't have the volume of serial killers that North America seems to have. So when you get a wild case like this, and this was back when um, they didn't have a classification. I mean, way before they ever thought about, I mean, over 100 years before they thought about a classification of serial killer, you know? And these were what I would call opportunity murders. You know what I mean? It's not like they had any sort of... uh, cult idea like the ripper crew you know it's not like they had any beliefs that just led them to want to kill people from bloodlust they just were opportunists they wanted to make money they found a way to do it and they did it there's hh holmes who did something very similar but he killed way more people than that because he enjoyed to fucking kill people yeah yeah now these people the way that they murdered they basically committed every murder the exact same way i don't think that they took enjoyment in a a rather smart way man yeah yeah no for sure um of course i'll give you all the details but i'm just thinking out loud right now that this is not the typical scenario of a killer this is a couple of guys who are in a world that uh you know there's no media to speak of certainly no social media everything's word of mouth just float around town and uh, income is sparse. It was a real tough time in the country. People were trying to earn money any way they could. And they found a way that they could pick up a lot of cash and took the opportunity, which I could, could even be more despicable than your pure uh, lust type killing. Yeah. Cause they're taking away human lives over money. And that's the problem with money, man is like whenever your morals don't take effect towards the fact that like it's like man shit I gotta pay these bills dude that's the problem that is the problem it's true it's stressful as hell and we can start off with the Dr. Robert Knox he was an anatomist he had caught smallpox as a child making him blind in one eye and what would be referred to in this case as horribly disfigured he had been an army doctor and then he had gone on to dive into anatomy now this is a weird time in science they're just kind of shaping what would turn into turn of the century modern anatomy so this guy especially in the area is probably on you know the forefront 
of this sort of learning in medicine and technology. And he was giving lectures at Ironboro Surgical University. I think was the name of it. Might have fucked that up. Doesn't really matter. He undertook dissections, two dissections twice a day. So he was cutting up four bodies a day. Whew. Now, people are dying left and right. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is uh, in the 1800s. I mean, we're talking about like the 1820s. It's a rough environment to live in. You know, 30 is old <laughs> yeah. at this point. You're not living a long, healthy life like we are today. And for the scientific community, you know, you're dealing with religion you got a lot of puritanical beliefs all across the world. So the, when people die, it's not like today where, you know, you can sign up to be an organ donor or you can sign up to donate your body to science. You could be a cadaver donor, which allows people to use your body to make further medical advancements. And those type of things have been, you know, important to furthering science and learning about anatomy. That's the only way to do it is to cut the body apart and see how everything goes together. And again, this is a time when this is first coming about. So, you know, essentially when you're cutting people up in a room with other people to find out how th- you're at the, the cusp of that. So people haven't done it before. So there's going to be a lot of taboos and gossip and talk about why you're cutting up bodies. You know, it, it's yeah. a lot of like, OK, well, we don't need to know how the body works because we know that God made the body and he made it in his <laughs> own image. So it's perfect in every way. So it doesn't matter how blood gets to and fro, even though there may be some small disease that could cause you to get a blood clot. You can figure out how to fix that, but God wouldn't do anything that's a mistake. So why do you need to do that? You know, so they're combating that. And there's also laws because of infectious diseases that anytime someone dies, they have to be buried within a certain amount of time in an ethical and as hygienic at the time as you could be fashioned. So there wasn't the spread of disease. You can't keep the body around. So in order for scientists and doctors to experiment and learn about the human body, i.e. get cadavers to cut up, they kind of have to circumvent the law. Now, from what I understood in Scotland at this time, it wasn't against the law. And, you know, this is under rule of England. At this time, it's all England, basically. So everything is Queen's law. um, And it seemed like... If so, if someone in your family died or you're responsible for the body, the law is that you have to properly dispose of the body or bury it in an ethical manner, you know? But if there's an outside body and it's on your property or whatever, you may not be in charge of disposing of it. So there's ways to circumvent the law. So if you can if you're, you know, engineering aspiring enough uh what we would call today is like a hustler yeah you could certainly figure out a way to make money and people did that because there was a high demand to get bodies to cut up for colleges and just general science and learning there was a industry of grave robbers that would find out when everyone was buried wait till they got buried come back at night dig up the grave and then fill coffins up with various things to make it feel the weight in case anyone else tried to pull back up or anything, take the body out, and then no harm, no foul. No one really knows that their loved one got pulled out of the grave. I mean, I'm pretty sure that at this state in our lives, we're all aware that once you die, no matter what you believe in the afterlife, your body has just been a vessel. It doesn't matter what happens to it. You're not really disrespecting anything by pulling the body out unless you want to get caught back into the puritanical belief. But if you want to go with science, it's just a meat wagon, you know? Is it disrespecting if you fuck the body? Um, well, 
I guess it just depends on your beliefs. Now, the body can't consent. That's a for sure. Well, the body is just a vessel. <laughs> <laughs> well, the vessel can't consent. You it's know? a vessel that takes a missile. <laughs> <laughs> a wrestle vessel. <laughs> Man, you got to hold hey, that body you, down. You remember uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Where they go and they fucking go see like a body getting like they take out the lungs and the heart and shit and they're all standing around and the one girl's like leaving and that one dude that uh wanted to fuck her but couldn't because he's all fucking Scotty in from Anthrax looking ass motherfucker <laughs> yeah he's like uh he's like are you okay you know this is like checking it out he's been looking at a dead body I'm sorry that you puked all over my dick that but I don't have a dick. Because I'm Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sure, buddy. This is going swell. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there would be grave robbers, and they were made a lucrative living supplying anyone that would have any reason to dissect a body. And they would do it by way of keeping the doctor's hand clean. Doctors would have their assistants who were learning how to be a doctor do the dirty work. They would go out. Meet the grave robber, pay the grave robber for the body, and then that way the, the the doctor was questioned about where they got the body from to do the experimenting or demonstrations on. They could legally say and not be lying. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? How do you keep track of anything back then? You know, you don't. Yeah, you don't. You. I think people were way. I don't know. I don't want to. I I feel like people were probably more honest back then. I don't know. Well, here's how I look at it is that in these times with like society was so confined in where you were at, you didn't know as much about the world because you couldn't get out and see it. And there was also no media that could bring it to you in like a fully disclosing light, you know? So your worldview was really limited to where you were born at and where you were living at the time. So you would not want to have a bad reputation within your small community. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. So a quick way to taint your reputation is to be known as someone who's full of shit. And if you're going to live in a small community of 500 people for your whole 25 years on earth, it's going to be important to have working relationships with them because the things you need are going to come from them. I mean, you're going to have... People who make everything within that town are going to know each other. Yeah. It's not like you're going to go to Walmart and have no face and name attached to the product you buy. It's going to be a small society where you know exactly who killed the cows, who cooked them. You're going to know who made your shoes. You're going to know who did everything within your everyday life because you're going to have to do direct business with them. This is before storefronts and shit like that. So, again... You want to have a good reputation. So yeah. I, th- I think people, they may not have been more honest. I mean, there's people always doing some shitty shit out there. But I think that, uh, and just because of gossip too, man, if you just look at all the crazy shit that would happen if someone said, well, I think so-and-so's guilty of murder. Well, they didn't have an accurate way to investigate that. So if the town just decided that you did whatever crime you were accused of, then chances are you're going to get burned alive for it or some crazy shit like that. Yeah. So I think people kept their noses clean back then. You know what I mean? It was a crazy fucking time period, man. Um, Edinburgh was a, it was a strange place, man. You, know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you're probably, I always jump ahead, but um, didn't they make like a sort of like a, these like tall buildings so they could see over graveyards to see about 
um, who was like, if somebody was grave robbing because it was such an issue. Yeah. 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 No, it became a big deal. I mean, uh, I don't really go into the particular details of the town like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm just trying to paint the picture right now of how it was commonplace. There was yeah. nothing real weird about it. I mean, it was a crime, but it was a necessary crime. I mean, it didn't take a genius to see that, like, you know, it didn't take a genius to see that that needed to be done. Like, yeah. the people needed to get the bodies. They were figuring out shit left and right, you know. I, it's still this day, I think you can go to graveyards there. Like, it's it's just, you know, public whatever. But there's a, there's actually, you can actually walk up those, like, big light. I guess they're like, uh, what are they called? Light whatever spot like basically they spotlight the graveyard to see if somebody's in the graveyard to steal some shit but you can walk up them and check them out and shit. yeah it's pretty cool man yeah i want to go i do too man it seems fucking awesome man. yeah i mean there's a edinburgh fringe fest that i have a feeling i could get to at some point i think it's like a weird self-funded thing i don't think you make very much money going to it so fiscally i would have to be in a much better place but i think it's like a month-long comedy festival and you like have your own show there so you have to find a way to get people into your show and i think just being american helps out i don't know that's just shit i've heard from other comics yeah but that'd be an excuse to go over there i don't know how how that works you know what i'm saying but uh ciao down talking about edinburgh that's a great everyone's all right so william burke was born 1792 in ernie county in Ernie, County Tyrone, Ireland, one of two sons to middle-class parents. Burke, along with his brother Constantine, had a comfortable upbringing and both joined the army as teenagers. Burke served in the Donegal Militia until he met and married a woman from County Mayo. Yum. County Mayo. (laughs) Which is where they later settled. They make a baby in Mayo? Yeah, they made a baby in Mayo. The marriage was short-lived. In 1818, after an argument with her father-in-law over land ownership, Burke deserted his wife and family, which at that time I'm sure was chill to do. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I've been fucking this bitch, and you know what? Her dad is bananas. That happened to me. My wife's dad lived in my kid's closet for over a year. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I love my wife and all, but Jesus Christ, if I could have just picked up and moved away from that guy (laughs) into the depths of Scotland. Can I talk about the conversation we had? No. Okay. He moved to Scotland. (laughs) He moved to Scotland and became a laborer working on the Union Canal. He settled in the small village of Madison near Falkirk and set up home with Helen McDougal, who he affectionately named, nicknamed Nellie. How the fuck do you get Nellie out of Helen? Because she's a huge cow. <laughs> yeah, you're right, man. That is a cow name for sure. She became his second wife. After a few years and when the works on the canal were finished, the couple moved to Tanner's Close, Edinburgh, in November 1827. They became hawkers, which is selling secondhand clothes to impoverished locals. Burke then became a cobbler, a trade in which he experienced some success, earning upwards of one pound a week. He became locally known as an industrious and good-humored man who would often entertain his clients by singing and dancing to them on their doorsteps while plying his trade, which is cobbling. So this motherfucker is... Singing and dancing while putting shoes together. Damn. 
Hoyle, it looks like you've had a tough time with your leather. Now, old Burke is here to fix your shoes and make them better. <laughs> Run, ting, ting, talk a ting, ting, ting. Give me a little and some fucking string. I'm gonna sew you up some shoes. A size 13 loose as screws. And you know, <laughs> none of us like Jews. God. <laughs> I wonder yeah, if that's were... it, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Were... <laughs> <laughs> it was fucked up. Although raised as a Roman Catholic, Burke became a regular worshiper at Presbyterian religious meetings held in the grass market. He was seldom seen without a Bible. William Hare was probably born in County Armagh, County Lundery, or Inuri. His age... And year of birth are unknown. When arrested in 1828, he gave his age as 21, which is like 50 at that time, you know? Yeah. But one source states that he was born between 1792 and 1804. Information on his earlier life is scant, although it is possible he worked in Ireland as an agricultural laborer before traveling to Britain. He worked on the Union Canal for seven years before moving to Edinburgh in the mid-1820s where he worked as a coal mine man's assistant. He lodged at Tanner's Close in the house of a man named Logue and his wife, Margaret Laird, in the nearby Westport area of town. When Logue died in 1826, Hare may have married Margaret. And based on contemporary accounts, Brian Bailey and his history of the murders described Hare as illiterate and uncouth. A lean, quarrelsome, violent, and amoral character with the scars and old wounds about his head and brow. Which means he looked like an ugly bitch. Yes. Because he was one. Yeah, well, that's a sign of you're a goddamn serial killer. Yeah, usually he's got head injuries and they're showing. Now he's out there with dudes up blowing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wonder what cum was like back then. Was I it, mean, probably the same as it is. It probably tastes better because they didn't have preservatives. Was it cold? There was no Diet Coke. Dude, from what I hear, Diet Coke makes your cum taste real bad. Oh, God. <laughs> I wonder. I guess it's the artificial sweetener when it comes out through the cum. It's like garlic tuna. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey describes Margaret, who was also an Irish immigrant, as a hard Featured and debauched virago, which is like a uh, warrior woman. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's she dude. was a goddamn man. In 1827, Burke and Bedougal went to Pinnacook in Midlothian to work on the harvest, where they met Hare. The men became friends when Burke and McDougal returned to Edinburgh. They moved into Hare Tanner's close lodging house, where the two couples soon acquired a reputation for hard drinking. And boisterous behavior. Wow. Yeah. And so that's exactly how uh, Hare and fucking Burke became to be buds. It's kind of like how we met. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) You did not live in my boarding house. I did, too. And so. (laughs) For a week. That's true. I couldn't even get a job. (laughs) Uh, So here's the deal. Just to make sense of what's going on with the culture at the time, let's say you had a house that was too big for your means. Yeah. Times were tough. So if you had an extra bedroom, you probably rented it out to somebody just to pay the bills. So you might have had your shit job cobbling shoes and singing for people. Then you had to come home to your horrible brick shit house wife 
strong jawed yeah, shit. yelling at you, being a fearsome warrior type of woman. With a mustache. And then whatever <laughs> strangers rented your room poking around your house while you're trying to fuck this hairy monster that uh, smells like a bog. It was like fucking rock biter from fucking never ending story, just all strong. Hey, the rock biter son is this looked like a strong pussy. <laughs> <laughs> just cramming rocks she's in riding, a box and squeezing them and putting them. She's riding oh, a, like <laughs> limestone. She's riding a trike around the bedroom. Like, Try to catch me if you can. If you can, you can fuck me. Oh, man, she's so fast. <laughs> it's going to slow her down. Yeah, she's athletic and limestone. <laughs> uh, so all of the murders except one took place at Hare's Lodging House in Tanner Close. On November 29th, 1827, Donald, a lodger in Hare's house, died of dropsy, which was a... there. I can't remember what disease it is. It's something that was long since terminated by vaccines, but a common death. Died of dropsy shortly before receiving a quarterly army pension while owing four pounds of back rent. After Hare bemoaned his financial loss to Burke, the pair decided to sell Donald's body to one of the local anatomists. A carpenter provided a coffin for a burial, which was to be paid for by the local parish. After he left, the pair opened the coffin, removed the body, which they hid under the bed, and then filled the coffin with bark from local tanners and resealed it. After dark, on the day the coffin was removed for burial, they took the corpse to Edinburgh University, where they looked for a purchaser. This was called Surgeon Square. Sounds like a wild place, my man. Oh, yeah. According to Burke's later testimony, they asked for directions to Professor Monroe, but a student sent them to Knox's premises in Surgeon Square. Although the men dealt with juniors when discussing the possibility of selling the body, it was Knox who fixed the price at seven pounds. Hare received four pounds while Burke took the balance of three pounds. Hare's larger share was to cover his loss from Donald's unpaid rent. According to Burke's official confession, as he and Hare left the university, one of Knox's assistants told them that the anatomist would be glad to see them again when they had another to dispose of. So I was telling you about Knox before. Now, he was a leading anatomist. Like I said, he was looking for four bodies a day to do lectures and demonstrations with to show students, the next generation of doctors, exactly how a body ticked. Now, that's not nefarious in and of itself, but no. he had a large network of grave robbers that he dealt with, so he didn't ask any questions. He offered the money, paid the money, and didn't want to know anything else. So the fact that they offered up the idea of bringing in more bodies makes your brain start to think that they're not so much worried about human life now as they are working on their surgeries. Man, back then, too, here's a, here's something to think about. Um, what if you, because I can't check to see if somebody had fucked a dead body. Mm -hmm. So you're a doctor. Yeah. You are, I, mean, I don't know what he's looking for. And you get a hot, young, dead body that but, crawls into your office yeah, maybe, and looks at you some type of way. Maybe a prostitute. Ooh. But then, you know, you're just sort of like, hey, let me loosen you up with my stench wrench. <laughs> and then you decide that 
You're going to glide inside of her pussy hole and her butthole and her mouth. But then you're going to cut her open. Are you just trying to make as many necrophilic rhymes as you can tonight? Sure. Okay. <laughs> you're like a member of Mortician. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but, uh, so, so it's like, the, I mean, those things are going on. I mean, people, people develop sexual fetishes. Yeah. And, I mean, this is one that is not unknown to people. I mean... Necrophilia? Yeah, necrophilia is a real thing. Yeah, rules. So, if you're a doctor, you're like, I don't want to know anything about this because I'm going to fuck it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because we if all... If I know you came inside of this cold stiff, I'm going to have a hard time getting a warm stiff. Yeah. And so, you're trying to warm up a dead body with a dick, and it's yeah. just a fucking crazy fucking day at the fucking job. But what I'm getting at is this, is hands down... If you're down with necrophilia, which you, you listen to this podcast, and I'm so sad you do, you are fucking dead bodies. You are trying to warm them up, hoping that the Eskimo pussy, which we all know about from fucking uncles who talks about Eskimo pussy, that they're warming them up with warm dicks. I have no idea what you just said for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> you're drunk, man. No, I'm not. It hasn't been 10 minutes. <laughs> That's your defense? <laughs> With the last five. Great. <laughs> I'm just saying, you're trying to put a hot log in a cold fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> you could have just said that. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. So uh, keep it rolling. I got a piss. I've been trying to keep rolling, you fuck. <sighs> there. <laughs> There is no agreement as to the order in which murders took place. Yeah, make as much noise as you can, please. <laughs> now, the problem with these guys is that they each had different stories. Now, I wouldn't say that they are necessarily trying to be defeat deceitful. When they got caught, the stakes were high. You're going to see that uh, they didn't exactly get treated uh, what we would call as humane and ethical prisoner treatment that convicts enjoy to this day. They had a real rough go of things, so the stakes were high when they're giving these confessions. And also, man, like I said, if you're 21, you're basically a 50-year-old man, so a year of your life is like seven of ours. You know what I mean? So the way that everything is, it's kind of up in the air. I looked through three or four different accounts of what probably happened and kind of drew my own conclusions. Uh, Burke made two confessions and gave different sequences for the murders in each statement. The first one was an official one, given on the 3rd of January, 1829, to the sheriff substitute, the procurer... Jeez, man, these fucking Brits. The procurator fiscal and the assistant sheriff clerk. The second was in the form of an interview with the Edinburgh Current that was published on the 7th of February, 1829. These, in turn, differed from the order given in Hare's statement. Although the pair were agreed on many of the points of the murders, some of the newer reports also differ from the confessions of the two men. More recent sources, including the accounts written by Brylan Bailey, Lisa Rosner, and Owen Dudley Edwards, which are the ones I looked through, they're all historians, and they all uh, did a really good job looking back at this crazy crime. Either follow one of the historic versions or the present of their own order of events. 
Woo! That's a long way of me saying that uh, this shit may not be 100% accurate, but going that far back in time, and everything was sensationalized, because again, you didn't have TV or movies, this was the entertainment. This has been written about by several different people, and uh, this is where the same university where uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle went, the dude that wrote the Sherlock Holmes stuff, but it was like 40 years after this yeah, that he was around. And, you know, just that interesting history is what kind of piqued his interest and other writers that based everything on true crimes. I mean, there was true crime culture back then for sure because anything, I mean, this wouldn't be, now there's been so much mayhem and death and murder in the world. We have several different wells to draw inspiration from. But back in these times, there have been plenty of stuff. But like I said, without media being able to reach you the way that it has our whole life, anything that you could get your ears on that piqued your interest about murders and crime, you maybe looked at it as a weirdo, you know? Yeah. Why you want to hear about all these murders and stuff like that? Because you like to fuck dead bodies. Yeah! <laughs> 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 um, most of the sources agree that the first murder... In January or February 1828 was either that of a miller named Joseph lodging in Hare's house or Abigail Simpson, a salt seller. Uh, and Joseph was the most likely because this was the only crime, the only murder they committed that didn't go the same way as the others. It's a prototype of it, but the first one, they held him down and smothered him with a pillow. The rest of them... They did it with their hand over the nose and mouth, which seemed to go way faster and easier than a pillow. The novelist Sir Walter Scott, who had a keen interest in the case, thanks Brits, also thought that the Miller, that the uh, that Joseph was the more likely first victim, and highlighted that there was an additional motive for them to reconcile that murder, and uh, I think they came into it honestly because, like I said, they were at this house. Someone died in the house. They had this body to get rid of, and they knew a way to make money off of the body. Well, similar circumstances with this miller named Joseph. He had become delirious and had a fever. So Hare and his wife were concerned that having the potentially infectious lodger would be bad for business. Hare again called upon Burke, and after providing their victim with whiskey, Hare suffocated Joseph while Burke lay across the upper torso to restrict movement. They took the corpse to Knox, who this time paid 10 pounds instead of 7. Rosner considers the method of murder to be ingenious. Burke's weight on the victim stifled movement. And I think this is a, back in these days, this is the best way to kill somebody. Burke's weight on the victim stifled movement and thus the ability to make noise. While it also prevented the chest from expanding should any air get past Hare's suffocating grip. And, uh, you know, back before there was forensic science to detect exactly how someone died. I mean, you know, it would be very obvious if someone died from a beating, blunt force trauma or a bullet or a knife. But if someone just passed away, especially when there was accounts of them having a fever, this type of thing would have been pretty much undetectable. They would have just figured like, okay, they just slipped off in their sleep because they had a fever. They didn't have the advanced tools to go and check their lungs for stress, you know? Which is still pretty smart, and you could still probably pull it off. You just handcuff the buddy behind their back, and then you just fucking pinch their nose, close their mouth, as long as you're wearing gloves, no fingerprints. 
and let them go. Well, no, nah, because it would take a long time. Forensic but. science today would be able to show through the lungs that there was a struggle and trauma to the lungs. They they could figure that out just by the internal organs. That's why you fill their lungs up with spray paint and mayonnaise. Oh yeah, you know. It's a great time to bring back the huff lung. <laughs> Without the mayonnaise, and then you put the mayonnaise in afterwards. What, what one was that, the Ripper Crew? Yeah. Yeah, you, you take a lung. No, you, no, no, it was a cannibalism one. Oh, yeah, you take a lung, <laughs> you fill it up with gold spray paint, and then instead of huffing out of a bag, you huff out of the lung. It's perfect. And, and what happens is you come out as a wrestler gold dust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're... They, Goldust was a pretty progressive wrestling character if you look back and think about yeah, it. Yeah, man, he was the first trans. It's, yeah, and he's also Dusty Rhodes' daughter. Whoa. And Dusty Rhodes at the same time. <laughs> it's a real weird day. That's a, <laughs> Busty Rhodes. <laughs> Bust fucking figure and shows. It's Busty Rhodes. It's time to take you back to do a pleasure fingering. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. The order of the t- next two victims after Joseph is also pretty unclear. Uh, more than likely, Abigail Simpson, followed by an English male lodger from Cheshire. Okay. <laughs> the unnamed Englishman was a traveling seller of matches and tinder who fell ill with jaundice at Hare's lodging house. Remember when you got jaundice because you let your gallbladder back up from gallbladder stones and I refused to go to the doctor it was like eight months dude <laughs> <laughs> you turned gray I was, I was i dude i did i mean i turned gray and shit and fucking turned jaundice and i was like fuck something's wrong and one day i was like i could not sleep on my bed so i had to sleep on this leather 80s couch my yeah that your mom me. passed out on naked all the time uh, <laughs> and it would have like heavy flow periods on. <laughs> yeah but i, dude, when I, I remember <laughs> when i first started going to your house your bathroom would just be sprayed with period blood yeah but you remember my warning <laughs> Yeah, 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 I do, man. First time we ever hung out, I was with my mom's crazy as hell. And you think I'm kidding. She's (laughs) spraying period blood on everything. (laughs) And then you were like, okay, my mom's crazy too. And I go, all right, well, I guess we're going to be brothers. And then you go inside and you're like, whoa. (laughs) She was wilding out the first time I ever went over there. There was blood everywhere. Yeah, dude. I I remember like I had to sleep on that couch. Man, my aunt gave me that couch. It was straight from the 80s. Yeah. Like a white leather. It was a white snake couch, dude. Yeah, and your aunt partied too, dude. So My aunt's cool, dude. Oh, yeah, cool as hell. It's the coolest. I'm just saying there's partying. That couch had some beer spilled on it. (laughs) Yeah, man. So fucking Zima, man. That's how long that shit was. Like, it was like not even the 80s. It lasted through the 90s all the way to 2004. Woo. Yeah. But uh, I, I was like, the doctor goes, if you go take a shit and it's gray, there's a problem. Yep. And he's like, you have liver failure. Like, now, been sure enough, gray. dude, I go home and take a shit and it <laughs> is gray, dude. He goes, don't take any aspirin. You'll die. Go to the doctor. Yep. Go to the hospital. And you finally did. I did, man. And then you were there for a while. It was like four days before I went. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As with Joseph, Hare was concerned with the effect the illness might have on his business. He and Burke employed the same modus operandi that they had with the Miller, having suffocated their victim, or Hare suffocating the victim while Burke laid over the body to stop movement and noise. So here's their system. Simpson was a pensioner who lived in the nearby village 
Oh, my fucking eyeball hurts so bad. I don't know. <laughs> it was you, you ever have that happen to you, dude? Yeah, because I'm like, out of nowhere, man. My goddamn eyeball just hurts so bad, dude. It only hurts because I credit uh, carded my fucking hand in my butt and scratched my eye. Oh, no. And I came back to it like 10 minutes later. And like, oh, great pink eye. <laughs> <laughs> my eye's been butted. Uh, Simpson was a pensioner who lived in the nearby village of Glimmerton and visited Edinburgh to supplement her pigeon by selling salt. The 12th of February, 1928, the only exact date Burke quoted in his confession, she was invited to the Hare's house and piled with enough alcohol to ensure she was too drunk to return home. After murdering her, Burke and Hare placed the body into a tea chest and sold it to Knox. They received $10 for each body, and Burke's confession records of Simpson's body that Dr. Knox approved himself of it being so fresh, but he did not ask any questions. In either February or March that year, an old woman was invited into the house by Margaret Hare, his wife. She gave her enough whiskey to fall asleep, and when Hare returned that afternoon, he covered the sleeping woman's mouth and nose with a bed tick, which is like a big mattress cover, and left her. She was dead by nightfall, and Burke joined his command companion to transport the corpse to Knox, who paid them another ten dollars. Eighteen hundred. When was when did this happen? Eighteen hundred and twenty something. Yeah, eighteen twenty-eight. First DP. You think they double pounded her? Yeah, dude. <laughs> that wasn't the first though. Come on. I man. mean, first recorded, even though they didn't say like, <laughs> they didn't dude. record it. What the fuck's wrong with your left eye, dude? Is it red? No, man, that's all swollen, dude. You're getting pink eye. Are you serious? Yeah, man. Oh, man, Somebody it hurts, Somebody fucking dude. farted right <laughs> in your eye. <laughs> oh, no, baby. <laughs> I like when you say baby. Mary Patterson killed by Burke when she, while she was intoxicated. Burke met two women in April. Mary Patterson, also known as Mary Mitchell and Janet Brown, in his Canongate area of Edinburgh. He brought the two women alcohol before inviting them back to his lodging for breakfast. The three left the tavern with the two bottles of whiskey and went instead to his brother's house. For lodging. <laughs> yeah, he about to lodge that ass. He about to log it. What <laughs> <laughs> the lodge my log in your bog. <laughs> <laughs> After his brother left for work, Burke and the two women finished the whiskey and Patterson fell asleep at the table. Burke and Brown continued talking, but were interrupted by McDougal, who threw a glass at her, cutting her over the eye. Brown stated that she did not know Burke was married and left. McDougal also left and went to fetch Hare and his wife. They arrived shortly afterwards, and the two men locked their wives out of the room and then murdered Peterson in her sleep. That afternoon, the pair took the body to Knox in the old tea chest, while McDougal kept Patterson's skirt and petticoats. Hence the DP, dude. Yeah. Well, that's why the wife got mad. Knew about the murder. Didn't like the murder. But no problem. Wait. They fucked that body. Yeah. They fucked I fucked up in what I said. They didn't care. She, they didn't care about the murders. Like, they knew it happened. They got... They were, ups- they were upset that they fucked, fucked the, the body. body. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Dude. Because you don't want dead... We were mapping some shit out You right don't now. want dead hole inside of your hole. You know what I mean? Maybe not. <laughs> what if that was the wife's turn on? Like, come bring that dead 
cum mixture and put it I in. I know it's been working on. I, listen, as a person that appreciates work pussy. What's in your puss? In your puss. I like Zombie. A, I like a pussy that smells like a, like a nice shoe shine. You know what I'm saying, dog? No, man. <laughs> <laughs> like shoe polish pussy? Yeah, man. A nice mink oil. <laughs> uh, I like a stink oil. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, so they paid $8 for the corpse, which was still warm when they delivered it. Ferguson, one of Knox's assistants, asked where they had obtained the body as he thought he recognized her. Burke explained that the girl had drunk herself to death and they purchased it from an old woman in the cannon gate. Knox was delighted with the corpse and stored it in whiskey for three months before dissecting it. When Brown later searched for her friend, she was told that she left for Glasgow with a traveling salesman. Man. Stored up dead coot in some whisk. Cannon? Fucking. What is the word? Can, what did you say? Cannon something? Cannon gate. That's the town. That's a pussy, dude. Yeah. Cannon gate? Hey, girl, let me get in that cannon gate. And you're going to Glasgow with a door to door salesman? That's a gangbang. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going over to Glasgow for the door to door salesman there. Ooh, you Look, got, it's a wee bonny lass. I got a little a bit. I got a little bit of hair on me chest from me whiskers. I gotta go to get me whiskies, and I don't even know what I'm saying because we got me fucking pussy all been swelled up by me two big dicks. Burkett and hair smashed me holes, but I was dead, and I've been talking to the Lord. I'm just wondering where that whiskey is now in her pussy. Because you know a Scotch like that nice, authentic peaty flavor. Peaty, <laughs> yeah, you got some peat. <laughs> Peter? Pete. Let me stir in their dick in it, dude. <laughs> That's why it's called a Pete, dude. Yeah, it's a Pete. And then uh, she just got her decomposing body in the whiskey. Dude, that, that whiskey is, you know. It's preserving the body. 300 and something years old by now. It's got a nice smell of flavor somewhere. Dude, that's a good whiskey. That's man. what I'm saying, dude. I wonder what the hell happened to it. I'm sure. That's where the real money is at his body whiskey. Listen, between the ages of, I would say, 11 yeah. Now I've definitely tasted that whiskey. You <laughs> <laughs> just turned my fart on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you fart <started> fucking <laughs> a real <laughs> fucking hit phone popper. <laughs> Man, farts rule, dude. <laughs> farts are rip dingy ding. At some point in the early to mid eighteen twenty eight. A uh, Mrs. Haldane, who Burke described as a stout old woman. <laughs> oh, she's a stout old lass. <laughs> she's been drinking whiskey. Yeah, lodged at Her Hare's. Her stout. Woo. Lodged at Hare's premises. After she became drunk, she fell asleep in the stable. She was smothered and sold to Knox. Several months later, Haldane's daughter, either called Margaret or Peggy, also lodged at Hare's house. She and Burke drank together heavily, and he killed her. Without Hare's assistance, her body was put into a tea chest and taken to Knox, where Burke was paid eight pounds. The next murder occurred in May 1828, when an old woman joined the house as a lodger. One evening, while she was intoxicated, Burke smothered the shit out of her. Hare was not present in the house at the time, and her body was sold to Knox for ten pounds then came the murder <laughs> did you hear that fart dude <laughs> sound like a squeaky chair man <laughs> I, at first i was like somebody's opening a door 
Man, dude. I, I, I farted in here a bunch while we're recording podcasts, but I've never been able to hear it in the headphones. I just hope it comes out on the it's podcast, like, dude. Something Mighty Mouse eating cheese. Man. <laughs> <laughs> then came the murder of Effie. Sometime, or, uh, <clears throat> then came the murder of Effie, a cinder gatherer who was scavenged through bins of rubbish tips to sell her findings. God, that sounds like a fucking... It's just World a, of Warcraft type of shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just a fancy dumpster diver, dude. They're basically oh. the uh, train riding community of Portland. Next, <laughs> <laughs> next, <laughs> next time I go up there, I'm going to call those kids cinder gatherers. <laughs> hey, what the fuck are you cinder gatherers doing out here with your doom and ass suck patches <laughs> oh my god d beat oh man burke tempted her into the stable with whiskey and when she was drunk enough he and Hare killed her knox gave 10 bucks for that sweet young body another victim was found by burke too drunk to stand she was being held by a local constable back to her lodgings when burke offered to take her there himself the policeman obliged, and Burke took her back to Harris' house, where she was killed, and her corpse brought them another ice-cold $10. Wait a minute. What was the body before that one? 20? No, they get 10s like the max. Ten, if if okay. they're, like, young, they get 10. Because he's fucking them, dude. Yeah, he, he likes a nice, warm, young box. I know that, listen... I would never fucking dead body, but if I was born in Edinburgh, Scotland, in the 1800s... Yeah. I would. Yeah, the doctor, I mean, hey, man, I mean, he's got some weird shit going on. You know what I'm saying? And the assistant just brings it in there and drops it off. And Have then you ever tried to, like, he puts on a Red Hot Chili Peppers album <laughs> and just goes to town. Listen, I had some frozen hamburger meat today. Bing, ding, dong, dong. And I tried to defrost it, man. And I was just fucking, I was finger blasting that shit trying to get defrosted. Because you know how, like, the middle gets, oh, it's yeah. still hard. And that you can peel, sucks. You can peel the sides off of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're fucking sticking your... Your fucking middle, and then the the next to the pinky. What what the fuck is that shit called? I, who cares? So you're fucking blasting it. Yeah, you're giving it like the uh, the come hither fingers. Yeah, man. You're fingering it like you would finger. Like you're that's treat, the good finger. You're treating it like a crab, but treats a victim. Yeah. And you're fucking going to town on that yeah. shit. Yeah. And it's fucking just squirting clam. Yeah. Squirting ting oh. on your daddy's dick. And then what? <laughs> Anyways, you make a hamburger steak and it's good. That's what I did. That's what you wanted to say is that you made a hamburger steak? Yeah, but that What's dude, a hamburger steak? Just a hamburger without a bun? Yeah, dude. Okay. It's a poor man's steak. <laughs> That's not a steak. It's from Scotland. What makes it a steak, dude? <laughs> Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I got lost. We got to... Okay, so... He just sold another one for 10 bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Burke and Hare murdered two lodgers in June, an old woman and a dumb boy, her grandson. <laughs> As Burke later recalled in his confession, while the boy sat by the fire in the kitchen, the grandmother was murdered in the bedroom by the usual method. Burke and Hare then picked up the boy and carried him to the same room where he was also killed. Burke later said it was this murder that disturbed him the most. <laughs> As he was haunted by his recollection of the boy's expression. The tea chest that was usually used by the couple to transport the bodies was found to be too small. So the bodies were forced into a herring barrel and taken to Surgeon Square, where they fetched 
eight pounds each. According to Burke's confession, the barrel was loaded onto a cart which Hare's horse refused to pull further than the grass market. Hare called a porter with a handcart to help him transport the container. Once back in Tanner's close, he took his anger out on the horse by shooting it dead in the yard. Wow. What did that horse do? He just knew that there was a kid body in there and didn't want to deal with it. Man, listen, my gra- my mother-in-law's pony died, and the kids love that shit, but they have no idea that it died yet. Oh, that pony died, dude? The pony died. How old was that pony? He was like 10 or 11. Now, tell me something and tell the truth. Okay. Did you bone that pony? No. <laughs> I never fucked with baloney pony, man. That pony was cool as shit, but there, hey, there is a fucking cow that's a, still a calf. Yeah. It will suck your kneecaps out of your body and it feels great. Yeah. <laughs> it feels good. It dude. feels good on your knees? Yeah, man. It loves a sucking knee, man. Imagine Did you get boned? Did. No, I didn't get boned. <laughs> I was so numb from the fucking knee suck. But if it sucked your dick. Become so numb. If it sucked your dick, dude, it would be like a fucking 14-year-old girl eating a fucking goddamn. Uh, hey, man. <laughs> foot by the foot, man. Come on, dude. Like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, don't feel Let's great. get back to the murders. <laughs> June 24th, Burke and McDougal departed for Falkirk to visit the latter's father, which, you know, McDougal's his old lady. Burke knew that Hare was short of cash and had even pawned some of his damn clothes. When the couple returned, they found that Hare was wearing new clothes and had surplus money. After he was asked, Hare denied that he sold another body. So Burke went right to Knox, who told Hare that he had sold a woman's body for eight pounds whoa that led to an argument between the two men and it came to blows burke and his wife moved into the home of josh brogan two streets away from tanner's close brogan brogan this one's my favorite all right the breach between the two men did not last long in late september or early october Hare was visiting burke when mrs Ostler, a washerwoman, came to the property to do the laundry. The men got her drunk and killed her. The corpse was with Dr. Knox that same afternoon for which the men received eight pounds. A week or two later, one of McDougal's relatives, Andougal, was visiting from Falkirk. After a few days, the men killed her by their usual technique and received ten pounds for the body. Burke later claimed that it, about this time, Margaret Hare suggested killing Helen McDougal on the grounds that they could not trust her. She was a Scotch woman, <laughs> but he refused. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Scotch. it when two cultures hate each other. <laughs> a Scotch woman. Yeah, a Scotch woman. We can't. Fuck, oh, man. we can't trust her with our secrets. She'll tell everyone she's a Scotch woman. <laughs> she's old and fermented from the times of the. Old. Or did they mean like the whiskey and not? <laughs> She was fermented in the pagan times. She's a Scotch woman, and what I mean by that, she's a devastating drunk. She won't stay away from it. <laughs> Bergen Hare's next victim was a familiar figure in the streets of Edinburgh. James Wilson, an 18-year-old man with a limp caused by deformed feet. He was mentally disabled, also known as he can't connect the pain. 
to the brain. A fucking phoebe. Phoebe, 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 phoebe. According to Alana Knight, and her history of the murders was inoffensive. He was locally known as Daft Jamie. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, Jamie, he's, uh, hey, what's the word for fucking retarded? Us oh, daft. That's old daft Jamie. It's like daft punk. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that shit. You're stupid. Wilson lived on the streets and supported himself by begging. In November, Hare lured Wilson to his lodgings with the promise of whiskey and sent his wife to fetch Burke. The Man, two whiskey's like crack, dude. You got fucking whiskey whores. Yeah, they like didn't have whores. crack back then, dude. They just had whiskey. The two murderers led Wilson into a bedroom, the door of which Margaret Hare herself locked before pushing the key back under the door. As Wilson did not like whiskey, he preferred snuff, which is tobacco. Wow. You just How do you prefer that? I don't know. Well, dude, have you I just saw a video the other day where it was like a old timey English tradition where people would just snort snuff. They take a spoon, they get like a whole spoonful of it and just jam it up their nose and try to suck it into their skull. Woo! So they would just sit there continuously and pound it. (laughs) Yeah, of course it's stupid. They didn't have cocaine back then, man, so you had to try to do what you could. Hey, Coke. What? I don't know if they did, but I'm just saying. They may have. I don't know. Anyway, they're tooting snuff, all right? He was not as drunk as most of the duo's victims. He was also strong because, as we know, the daft have extra strength. (laughs) 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 And fought back against the two attackers, but was overpowered by them both and killed in the normal way. His body was stripped and his few possessions stolen. Burke kept his snuff box and Hare kept his snuff spoon. When the body was examined the following day by Knox and his students... Several of them recognized it to be Wilson, but Knox denied it could be anyone the students knew. When word started circulating that Wilson was missing, Knox dissected the body ahead of the others that were being held in storage. The head and feet were removed before the main dissection, which, if you can't catch on to that, it is super sketchy. Yeah. Because the students kind of noticed, hey, this is a healthy dude, although slightly retarded. retarded. He was doing fine, and now he's dead. Listen, How are you man, getting these bodies, son? Well, here's the thing. Dude. That's the difference between regular Olympics and special Olympics. One's stronger than the other. It ain't the regular. No, that's true, dude. Um, <laughs> they lift more weight in the special Olympics. They just don't have the form. They that's can't, the... Because they can't get the bank <laughs> yeah, Nothing hurts. They just rip it. Woo! The final victim killed on Halloween, 1828, was Margaret Daugherty, Daugherty, a middle-aged Irish woman. Burke lured her into the Brogan lodging house by claiming that his mother was also a Daugherty from the same area of Ireland, and the pair began drinking. At one point, Burke left Daugherty in the company of Helen McDougall while he went out, ostensibly to buy more whiskey, but actually to get hair. Two other lodgers, Anne and James Gray, were an inconvenience to the men, so they paid them to stay at Hare's lodging for the night, claiming Daugherty was a relative. The drinking continued into the evening, by which time Margaret Hare had joined in. 
Around 9 p.m., the Greys returned briefly to collect some clothing for their children and saw Burke, Hare, their wives, and Daughtry all drunk, singing and dancing. Although Burke and Hare came to blows at one point in the evening, they subsequently murdered Daughtry and put her body in a pile of straw at the end of the bed. That's a regular Irish Tuesday night. Yeah. Or you come to blows. I would like to think that's like you're sucking somebody off. <laughs> Back and forth, you're like, yeah, your dick sucking sucks. Here's mine. Uh, it's come down to this, has it last? We're coming to blows. That means you're gonna have to blow us all. A rusty trombone, and then I go to the tip, and I go ahead and give it a rip. <laughs> I'll treat you like a fucking bong. But I, I just figure that's what like our school night is in Ireland. Yeah, we all get drunk, drink some whiskey, sing some songs, get into a fist fight, and murder some bitch, and put her in a pile of straw. Pull your tits out. The next day, pull your tits out. Pull your tits out. Pull your tits out. Suckers, cool. <laughs> the next day, the Greys returned, and Anne became suspicious when Burke would not let her approach a bed where she had left her stockings. When they were left alone in the house in the early evening, the Greys searched the straw and found Daugherty's body, showing blood and saliva on the face. On their way to alert the police... They ran into McDougal, who tried to bribe them with an offer of 10 pounds a week, but they refused. While the Greys reported the murder to the police, Burke and Hare removed the body and took it to Knox's surgery. The police search located Daugherty's blood-stained clothing hidden under the bed. Burke and his wife gave different times for Daugherty's departure from the house, which raised enough suspicion for the police to take them in, to, in for questioning. Early the following morning, the police went to Knox's dissecting rooms where they had found Daugherty's body. body. James Gray identified her as the woman he had seen with Burke and Hare. Hare and his wife were arrested that day, as was Brogan. All denied any knowledge of the events. In total, 16 people were murdered by Burke and Hare. Burke later stated that he and Hare were generally in a state of intoxication, when the murders were carried out and that he could not sleep at night without a little bottle of whiskey by his bedside and a two-penny candle to burn all night beside him. And when he awoke, he would take a drink from the bottle, sometimes half a bottle at a draught, and that would make him sleep. And he also took opium to ease his conscience. That was in jail? No, dude, that was a home. Okay. He just, he's just—he's basically trying to say that he's like dope. Eighteen hundred Scottish jail sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you having a hard time sleeping? Are you allowed to hear some whiskey and opium for you? Here's some medicine from the Chinese. Are you ready for <laughs> <laughs> crap, man? That's why they're mine. Thank you for keeping that to yourself. <laughs> Robert. Christensen, who undertook the forensic examination on Margaret Daugherty. On the 3rd of November, 1828, a warrant was issued for the detention of Burke, Hare, and their wives. Brogan was released without further action. The four suspects were kept apart and statements were taken. The conflicted, these conflicted with the initial answers given on the day of their arrests. After Dr. Alexander Black, a police surgeon, Examined Daugherty's body, two forensic specialists were appointed. Robert Christensen and William Newbigging, they reported that it was profitable to the victim. Sorry. They reported that it was probable the victim had been murdered by suffocation, but they, this could not be medically proven. 
On the basis of the report from the two doctors, the Burks and Hares were charged with murder. That means both husband and wife. Each pair were charged with murder. As part of his investigation, Christensen interviewed Knox, who asserted that Burke and Hare had watched poor lodging houses in Edinburgh and purchased bodies before anyone claimed them for burial. Christensen thought Knox was deficit in principle and heart, but did not think that he had broken the law. Although the police were sure murder had taken place and that at least one of the four was guilty, they were uncertain whether they could secure a conviction. Police also suspected that there had been other murders committed, but the lack of bodies hampered in this line of inquiry. As news of the possibility of other murders came to the public's attention, newspapers began to publish lurid and inaccurate stories of the crimes. Speculative reports led members of the public to assume that all missing people had been victims. Janet Brown went to the police and identified her friend Mary Patterson's clothing while a local baker informed that Jamie Wilson's trousers were being worn by Constantine Burke's son. On on the 19th of November, a warrant for the murder of Jamie Wilson was made against the four suspects. Sir William Ray, the Lord Advocate, followed a regular technique. He focused on one individual to extract a confession on which the others could be convicted. Hare was chosen and on the 1st of December he was offered immunity from prosecution if he turned King's evidence and provided the full details of the murdered Daugherty and any other because he could not be brought to testify against his wife. She was also exempt from prosecution. Hare made a full confession of all the deaths and Ray decided sufficient evidence existed to secure prosecution. On the 4th of December, formal charges were laid against Burke and McDougall for the murders of Mary Peterson, James Wilson, and Miss Daugherty. Statements given by Burke in January 1829 to the Edinburgh Current in which he states, Dr. Knox never encouraged him, neither taught or encouraged him to murder any person. So in other words, he had to say on the record that the doctor never wanted him to kill anybody. But he did want the bodies, and he sure didn't ask where they came from, and he also quite approved of the warm bodies. Which basically means, like, if you got money, who gives a shit? Well, yeah, especially at that time. I mean, you're a doctor. I mean, these people are are killing people for 10 pounds. That will go to show you how far money goes back then. You're going to murder somebody over $10, which, you know, granted... I mean, my grandpa, who was alive and, like, starting work in the 50s, would tell me about how he used to make a dollar a day doing... And and that dollar a day basically equals out to, like, $15 an hour now. Yeah, yeah. So, $10 is a ton of cash in this day. You know what I mean? So, the doctor, it's probably university money, but either way, they've got a ton of cash that they're able to spend. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's rich. He can get away with whatever he wants to. Have you you seen the... um um, fuck! What's the guy's name that played Ace Ventura? Jim Carrey. Have you seen the Jim Carrey documentary where he is doing the uh, Andy Kaufman? Yeah, no, it's great. But th- but there's one thing he says that makes total sense. Where he's like, "Oh yeah, you're gonna grow up. You're Catholic, and you're gonna fucking be a doctor one day." As if that's the fucking glue that holds you together. 
So that that's the thing, man. It even lasts through even my time period. My great grandma told me that like she wanted me to be a doctor and all these things. <laughs> like, oh yeah, and I was man, like, your great grandma uh, was fucking stupid. <laughs> she had Alzheimer's. I can see that. She died on my birthday. She had clearly never. See been you later, <laughs> grandma. <laughs> that had to have pissed you off, dude. <laughs> I was like, I'm not gonna be a doctor. Fuck that shit. I like death metal. I did want to be a mortician. I remember that actually. You were like, "I'll go to train for it." Like, dude, you will definitely not do anything. <laughs> yeah, all in a fucking a dead body. <laughs> but uh, no, like that was a thing, man. It was like if you grew up and you were a doctor, you were a prominent person. You were yeah. important. Yeah. And so anything you said didn't matter what the people underneath you said. So people just go, he's a doctor. He knows more. He's fucking, did you shit your pants? No. That was a fucking shark, dude. <laughs> it was like, rip. <laughs> it's a, it was like a Zorro fucking. All right, keep going, man. Yeah, I am. Because, <laughs> listen, you fucking Zorroed your pants, dude. You put a Z in that old Makes motherfucker. the sign of the Z. But uh, back then, man, I mean, like, doctors and preachers were the most important people because, yeah. which does not make any fucking no. sense. It just depends on what side of the aisle you're on. Did you want to learn about science or did you want to learn about God? Or was it the same thing to you? Man, the dude, Christian scientists, I hate them. Yeah, what a goofy. I hate Goofy them. religion. That's for another time, though. Knox faced no charges for the murders because Burke's statement to the police exonerated the surgeon. Public awareness of the news grew as newspapers and broadsides began releasing further details. Opinion was against the doctor, and according to Bailey, many in Edinburgh thought he was a sinister ringmaster who got Burke and Hare dancing to his tune. Several broadsides were published with editorials stating that he should have been in the dock alongside with the murderers, which influenced public opinion. A new... uh, Woo! I'm sick, man. You're really starting to feel it. (laughs) You know how when you get, like, a cold and you got that pressure in your brain and the crap in your chest... You got a shit two days ahead of you. Ring down I just got over it. Yeah, I know. I know, I know. A new word was coined for the murders. Burking. To smother a victim or to commit an anatomy murder. And a rhyme began circulating around the streets of Edinburgh. And you're going to love this, buddy. Am I? Up close to the dune and stare. But and been with Burke and Hare. Burke's the busher. Hare's the thief. Knocks the boy that buys the beef. Whoa. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah, that's dope. I'm getting hot. The trial began at 10 a.m. on Christmas Eve, 1828, before the High Court of Justicery. That's a made-up-ass word for a court back then. <laughs> justicery. Where are you guys going to have this case at? Well, you know, it's all about justicery. In Edinburgh's Parliament House, the case was heard by Lord's Justice Clerk David Boyle, supported by the Lord's Meadow Bank. Who gives a shit? The court was full shortly after the doors were appointed. Wow. <laughs> At 9 a.m. You're gassed. And a large, yeah, all crammed up, dude. At 9 a.m. and a large crowd gathered outside Parliament House. 300 constables were on duty to prevent disturbances, while infantry and cavalry were on standby as a further precaution. The murderers and their wives <clears throat> during the trial... They first ran the case of the Hares, and that ran through the day and night into the following morning. 
Rosner notes that even a formal postponement of the case for dinner could have raised questions about the validity of the trial. When the charges were read out, the two defense counsels objected to McDougal and Burke being trialed together. James Moncrief, Burke's defense lawyer, protested that his client was charged with three unconnected murders committed each at a different time at a different place in a trial with another defendant who is not even alleged to have any concern with the two instances which he is accused. Several hours were spent on legal arguments about that objection. The judge decided that to ensure a fair trial, the indictment should be split into separate charges for the three murders. He gave Ray the choice as to which should be heard first. Ray opted for the murder of Daugherty, and given the corpse, they had the strongest evidence. Man. This is, I mean, this is this is way. I mean, this is pretty before its time as as far as like the way they kill people, um, because we all know they're fucking them. They're fucking them before they die. <laughs> yeah, we we've established that theory. They are having sex with way these more girls than men. Yeah, yeah, sex, 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 sex. sex. Man, when I was in third grade and I heard the word sex, <laughs> like, yeah, just wow. like it would instantly moisten your fucking pants. I was like, up. whoa, that's crazy. Sex. I saw it spelled out in flowers in The Lion King when, Man, when Simba our... jumped into him. <laughs> <laughs> when I, whenever somebody, my grandpa explained what wet dream was, I was like, how wow. did he explain it? <laughs> he did. He was like, your pants are going to be wet, but it's not going to be pee, it's going to be good wet. Pretty much. You're not wrong. (laughs) In the early afternoon, Burke and McDougal pleaded not guilty to the murder of Daugherty. The first witnesses were then called from a list of 55 that included Hare and Knox. Not all the witnesses on the list were called, and Knox, with three of his assistants, avoided being questioned in court. One of Knox's assistants, David Patterson, who had been the main person Burke and Hale dealt with at Knox's surgery was called and confirmed the pair had supplied the doctor with several corpses. In the early evening, Hare took to the stand to give evidence. (laughs) Under cross-examination about the murder of Daugherty, Hare claimed Burke had been the sole murderer and McDougal had twice been involved by bringing Daugherty back to the house after she had run out. Hare stated that he had assisted... Burke in the delivery of the body to Knox. Although he was asked about other murders, he was not obliged to answer the questions as the charge only related to the death of Daugherty. After Hare's questioning, his wife entered the witness box carrying their baby daughter who was suffering from whooping cough. Margaret used the child's coughing fits as a way to give herself thinking time for some of the questions and told the court that she had been a very poor memory and could not remember many of the events. Which is pretty fair, man. Childbirth does make you scatterbrain. That's a medical fact, and I've seen it firsthand twice. The final prosecution witnesses were the two doctors, Black and Christensen. Both said they suspected foul play, but that there was no forensic evidence to support suggestion of murder. There were no witnesses called for the defense, although the pretrial declarations by Burke and McDougal were read out in their place. The prosecution summed up their case, which at 3 a.m., Burke's defense lawyer began his final statement, which lasted for two hours. 
McDougal's defense lawyer began his address to the jury on his client's behalf at 5 a.m. Boyle then gave his summing up, directing the jury to accept the arguments of the prosecution. The jury retired to consider its verdict at 8.30 a.m. on Christmas Day and returned 50 minutes later. It delivered a verdict of guilty against Burke for the murder of Daugherty, the same charge against McDougal they found not proven. As he passed the death sentence against Burke, Boyle told him, Your body should be publicly dissected and anatomized, and I trust that if it is ever customary to preserve skeletons, yours will be preserved in order that posterity may keep remembrance of your atrocious crime. Man. Do you understand what I just said? Yeah, I do. So what they did is that they took Burke's body and publicly dissected and anatomized it while he was alive. Yeah, <laughs> they killed him via dissection. How cool. <laughs> That's cool as hell, man. Listen, man, there was no metal back then. Except for this. This guy goes, he, he was circle hood banging while he was going out. They were dissecting him oh, yeah, and he dude. was going. <laughs> 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 was released at the end of the trial and returned home. The following day, she went to buy whiskey and was confronted by a mob who were angry at the not proven verdict. She was taken to a police building in nearby Fountain Bridge for her own protection, but after the mob laid siege to it, she escaped through a back window to the main police station off Edinburgh's High Street. She tried to see Burke, but permission was refused. She left Edinburgh the next day, and there are no clear accounts of her later life. On the 3rd of January, 1829, on the advice of both Catholic priests and Presbyterian clergy, Burke made another confession that was more detailed than the official one he provided prior to his trial. He placed much of the blame for the murders on Hare. On January 16, 1829, a petition on behalf of James Wilson's mother and sister protesting against Hare's immunity and intended release from prison was given a lengthy consideration by the High Court of Justicery and rejected by a vote of 4-2. to two. Margaret Hare was released on the 19th of January and traveled to Glasgow to find passage back to Ireland. While waiting for a ship, she was recognized and attacked by a mob. She was given shelter in a police station before being given a police escort onto a Belfast-bound vessel. No clear accounts exist of what became after she landed in Ireland. Burke was hanged on the morning of... Wait. Hold up, hold up. Oh, I guess they hung him first, dude. They hung him? They hung him, so he wasn't dissected alive. That's kind of garbage, because that's what the judge called for. He was hanged on the morning of January 18, 28th, 9th... The morning of January 28th, 1829, in front of a crowd of possibly as large as 25,000. Wow. Views from windows in the tenements of overlooking the scaffolding were hired at prices ranging from 5 to 20 shillings. On February 1st, his corpse was publicly dissected by Professor Monroe in the anatomy theater of the university's old college. Police had to be called when large numbers of students gathered demanding access to the lecture 
which for a limited number of tickets had been issued. The minor, a minor riot ensued, but the calm was restored only after one of the university professors negotiated with the crowd that they would be allowed to pass through the theater in batches of 50. After the dissection, during the procedure, which lasted for two hours, Monroe dipped his quill pen into Burke's blood and wrote, This is written with the blood of William Burke, who was hanged at Edinburgh. Hey. This blood was taken from his head. Shout out to Max Magicardi because his birthday is today also. And oh, he cool. paints blood he paints in his own blood a portrait and other things. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Burke's skeleton was given to the Anatomical Museum of the Edinburgh Medical School, where as of two thousand seventeen it remains, my guy, it's still there. They also used to make death masks of people and a book said to be bound with his tanned skin. They kept his damn skin and made a book out of it. Can be they were pissed off at this fool. Oh yeah. Could be seen at a surgeon's hall museum. Hare was released on February fifth, eighteen twenty nine. His extended stay in custody had been undertaken for his own perfection protection, and he was assisted in leaving Edinburgh in disguise by the Mail coach to Dumfries. At one of its stops, he was recognized by a fellow passenger, Erskine Douglas Stanford, a junior counsel who had represented William's family. Sanford informed his fellow passengers of Hare's identity. On arrival in Dumfries, the news of Hare's presence spread and a large crowd gathered hostelry at the hostelry. I guess they were hostile at the hostelry where he was due to stay the night. Police arrived and arranged for a decoy coach to draw off the crowd while Hare escaped through a back window and into a carriage, which took him to the town's prison for safekeeping. A crowd surrounded the building and stones were thrown at the door and windows and street lamps were smashed before a hundred special constables arrived to restore order. In the small hours of the morning, escorted by a sheriff officer and militia guard, Hare was taken out of town, set down on the Annan Road, and instructed to make his way to the English border. There are no subsequent reliable sightings of him, and his eventual fate is unknown. Now, Dr. Knox refused to make any public statements about his dealings with Burke and Hare. The common thought in Edinburgh was that he was culpable in the events. He was lampooned in character and in February, a crowd gathered outside his house and burned an effigy of him. Wow. A committee of inquiry cleared him of complicity and reported that they had seen no evidence Dr. Knox or his assistants knew that murder was committed in the procuring, in procuring any of the subjects brought to his room. He resigned from his position as curator of the College of Surgeons Museum and was gradually excluded from university life by his peers. He left Edinburgh in 1842 and lectured in Britain and mainland Europe. While working in London, he fell foul of the regulations in the, of the Royal College of Surgeons and was debarred from lecturing. He was removed from role of the Fellows of the Royal Society of Edinburgh in 1848. From 1856, he worked as a pathological anatomist at the Brompton Cancer Hospital and had a medical practice in Hackney until his death in 1862, which is a pretty long life. He yeah. was born in like 1798, so that's a doctor that knew the body quite well, friend. Yeah. But that pretty much wraps her up. I mean, these fools killed 
you know, 12 or 16 people. And then one of them got away with it by snitching. The one who got caught got hung and then publicly dissected. And it was so boring in that time that 25,000 people showed up to watch him be hung and then rioted because they couldn't all see him be dissected. Yeah, it's crazy. You, you just need the internet. That's it <laughs> it solves so many problems because I can watch people being dissected on Instagram right now. Yep. I just want to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this week sometime, I'm going to go back and talk to my aunt. They took me to my first Exhum show. Oh. And I think I have pictures from the uh, Anatomy is Destiny era tour. Oh, I'm sure you do. And um, hands out, Exhumed is my favorite death metal band. I love this band. Uh, they introduced me to so many other bands that influenced them. Um, so I guess we're going to do the uh, lyrics here for Nightwork. And that's off of the album Death Revenge, which is a concept album. Based on these murders, and there's a lot to go on. And, of course, Exhumed are masters of gore grind, probably the original band in that genre. They are the, ori- they, they are they the original the band in that genre. Okay, well, they've taken, they've always used medical terms, and I'm very excited to hear Buddy pronounce some more <laughs> complicated words after he's been drinking all day long. All day. All day. All day. All day. All right, so give it to him, Buddy. You ready? Okay, so here's Nightwork by Exhumed. This is from the perspective of hair. Okay. 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 All right. Welcome to our nocturnal vocation. Disembalbing, we grimly extract the expired disinterning lanthorn illumination to fulfill anonymous cadaverous desires from the perspective of Dr. Knox. Given Night Watchman fits with the fuck. more terror, more Tesseverus, you've been picked. Finding fresh graves to dig, I must say it's hell a gig. Here's a chorus Night work done, the lifeless made graveless, our prize to be won. Exhumed by torchlight, dead, wait, dead to rights. The night work, unholy sight. Undertaken not tonight, a livelihood, a death a, we scrape. We wait. I'm sorry. <laughs> we scrape your casket vacant, corpse taken forthwith from fell spades. You will escape. Second coming, ignominious, unclean and sick. This is from perspective of Doctor Knox. Wooden shelves and picks from your tomb you'll be nicked, sink to new depths and sink and sick. Computation cut the quick. Here's a chorus. Night work be done. The lifeless made graveless our prize to be won. Exhumed by torchlight. Dead weight, dead rights. This night work and unholy. Sight undertaken tonight. <laughs> Fuck. You got a real smooth flow about you. <laughs> Here's a solo by Mr. Matthew Harvey. It's it's a dirty job finding fresh graves to rob. These are dirty deeds, six feet dirt. 
six feet of dirt, dug, dug dirt cheap. It's a dirty job finding fresh graves to rob. Toil and casket slaves, death it's our living wage. Night work done, the lifeless made of graveless and prize to be won. Exhumed by torchlight, dead weight, dead night, dead rites, this night work unholy sight undertaken this night work by be done the life is made by <laughs> the life is work graveless are prized to be won exhumed by torchlight dead weight dead rights this night work unholy sight undertaken tonight hell yeah man man exhumed does a great job and that's uh capturing the events that took place i mean what a wild time in history. Even without murdering people to take the bodies in, you just had an entire culture of people who needed money so bad that they were willing to exhume bodies from graves and replace them with fake bodies to try and go cash in on the small amount you could get off of selling them to a surgeon just to learn how the damn body works. You know what I mean? It's crazy, dude. Insanity. That was a pretty fun episode, I thought, Lloyd. Yeah. Exhumed rules. Uh, look for our top whatever number we come up with. Metal albums of the year coming and your way this week. On YouTube. Yeah, we'll YouTube either, that. Either this week or next week. Um, listen, if you guys have not bought this record yet, it, Death Revenge by Exhumed is a f- it's so good. It's so good. It, yeah, we never lie. We understand that Exhumed is a huge death metal band, and that might be not be popular with your cool friends who've got cool ideas, but your friends are fruits. <laughs> Listen, this band has a fucking special place in my heart. I love them. I love this band. This is my favorite death metal band. Yeah, and they're still ripping it, man, and that is a beautiful thing to behold at the present date and time. So, yeah, pick that up, man. And also... You should follow us across all social media and tell your friends to, too. We're going to try to be more active on Facebook and all that. Uh, Facebook is Death Metal Dicks, and you can also follow my personal account, K-R-I-S-T-O-F-E-R-M Pierce, as well as Buddy Lloyd. And always, we encourage you to follow professional pirate media across all social media. Instagram, our personal accounts are Lloyd Have Mercy 666 Smells Like Teen Chris. Twitter, you can follow me. That's on Instagram. Then I, I, that's what I said. No, you, now, said I, you said Twitter. I just, you're a fucking idiot, man. You Shut said. the fuck up. <laughs> on Twitter, you can follow me at Death Metal Chris, and of course, it's Death Metal Dicks across <laughs> all social media. God damn, you're stupid, guys. Am I? This is what <laughs> I put up with all the time, and you. Get it once a week. It's fun in small doses. <laughs> Uh, this week, I recommend that you find a demon that can help you lift more weights because the new year is rapidly approaching and it's hard to trust somebody who can't deadlift their own body weight. So, you lift. find Belphegor. <laughs> Belphegor's new album is great too, but Belphegor is a great demon to help you lift weights. Yeah, that's a demon of strength. And I, looking at those boys, I got a feeling they've never lifted nothing. No. <laughs> <laughs> But the guy from Nile has. Oh, yeah. Some burgers. <laughs> yeah, he defended him with his fucking... Spit in the face, dude. Come on, yeah, man. Come yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get your face spit in and walk away from that. 
All right, guys, we love you very much. Uh, we'll have a brand new episode for you next week. And check out all of our extra content in the meantime over at patreon.com backslash death metal Dude.